back, everyone. Get set for episode six of the Age on Squared podcast, broadcasting from a quaint office deep within the prairie land of Canada. I'm your host, Adrian Harasimu, but you can still call me the original age, because admit it, that's much easier to remember, isn't it? So get ready for more financial boot camping with another episode loaded with our ever-growing insight and intrigue. If this isn't your first unsquaring rodeo, welcome home. If you're a newbie to the program, thank you so much for tuning in. It's a short 20 minutes a week of your life that will be very well spent. So what's lined up for this installment, you ask? How does another glimpse into the bankster's paradise sound? You bet, another story is lined right up. I'll also chat about fundamentalism, and not the way you're thinking, so stay thirsty for more knowledge, my friends. But let's kick off this episode with a talk about motivation first and foremost. It came to my attention uh, earlier this week that some people are mistaking our work at H Corp as being solely around motivation. I absolutely understand where this is coming from, as yes, we do regularly point out motivational quotes and ideas. But that's it on that front. The quotes are meant to be uh, a reminder that it's very possible to reach our goals and make our lives matter though not without some very hard work. Quite frankly, I also use the quotes to motivate myself. While thoroughly enjoyable, this work is not easy to do, so I myself need motivation from time to time. Working on reaching meaningful goals is not an easy road to take. Need proof? Just look all around us by all the people who choose to live a life of TV or video games or movies, munchies, beer, smoking, whatever it is. While these activities may not be terrible stress relievers to one degree or another, and may be a good way to take a mental break once in a while, they should not and cannot dominate our lives if we truly have objectives to meet that matter to us. They are nothing more than distractions. But for some people, those distractions are all-consuming. And as with anything in life that isn't good for us, these distractions are easy. I really actually don't know the psychology around it, but I do know that it has something to do with chemical reactions in our brains when we're exposed to something enjoyable, even if that enjoyable activity is harmful to our well-being. I actually recently read a book, it's called The War of Art, and yes, you heard that correctly, not The Art of War, but The War of Art, and the author, um, and I I just can't recall his name right now, uh, he actually calls these distractions resistance. It is this resistance that we must constantly overcome to do things that will get us to our own so-called promised land. Think about this podcast, for example. Do you think it's easy to produce? I'm a one-man show that needs to put together the general content of the episode, recorded with the proper equipment, which, oh, by the way, took me a lot of time to research and to purchase, and then edit the recording with the most cost-effective program, which it too took me a long time to research and make sure I'm using the right uh, program. And then I have to go launch it with some decent cover art to boot. Oh, and let's not forget all the other things that I had to learn just to get here to episode 6. And guess what? I have to continue learning to get better at this. Or you know what? I could have just easily picked up the remote control today and watched the rerun of The Simpsons. Which do you think has more resistance? Which do you think requires motivation to do? You know what? Instead, let's take this in a direction that might be potentially more in line with your goal to becoming more financially independent. So let's say you want to become a trader, for example. 
you know about it and you think you're ready to learn and study more to do so. Besides, being a trader, sitting at your desk at home, watching the markets is what you've always wanted to do. You've even saved up some seed capital to begin. Okay, great. So, first step, let's open a self-directed brokerage account. But how do you do that? Well, looks like you have some work to do, young Padawan. Time to research the best option that fits your needs. Oh, and then you have to fill out the forms and provide ID and send everything in and make sure that the money clears before you can execute your first trade. And then, ah, forget about it today. You're too tired, right? You heard that great episode of Seinfeld is on again today, so let's just watch that first and then we'll see how things go. So, remind me again, why is motivation not an important part of building financial independence? Why do you think you're suppressed by the 1% to live what you think is a disappointing life when compared to the lives of the uber successful? Why do you think it's so easy for them to so-called, quote, control you and keep you in the 99%? Think about it. Statistically, that makes zero sense. How can a 1% minority dominate the 99% majority? And don't forget that it is these same success stories, these people that are in the so-called 1% that many of us look up to, who regularly tell us most of their success is, quote, just in the get-up-and-go attitude they have used throughout life. Well... If it was that simple to overcome the pull of TV, video games, movies, shopping, beer, would there not be more successful stories to look up to? Pablo Picasso once said himself, quote, Action is the foundational key to all success, end quote. Presto, there it is. Inaction is easier than action. Makes sense, because exerting no force is much easier than exerting force. It's simple physics, right? So again, Atlas Galhead Eurocorp is centered on helping those who want to grasp a better and more powerful understanding of financial matters. That's the main gist of our uh, mission here. All for the purpose of building a more independent life that does not hinge on the support of other institutions, such as the 9-to-5 company job or many government, quote, safety nets. But to achieve that independent life requires real get-up-and-go to break away from all the resistance we most certainly encounter on a daily basis. That's where our motivational content comes from, to remind us the road to financial independence will be rocky, and uphill, and curvy, not flat, nor direct, nor smooth. However, the destination is most certainly going to be worth it. This actually helps me lead into the next section of this episode. As part of the unsquaring process, I like to help you identify forces that are not working in your best interests. That is why I came up with the Bankster Story series to bring to you real-life moments that even made me think, huh? What the heck? When they happened to me. So here I am to bring another one of those stories to your attention. I wrote about it in our blog earlier this year, but I figure there are those people that better absorb information through listening as opposed to reading. So, in this story, I focus on revealing the true nature of what's called financial advice from my own first-hand experience as a frontline bankster. Many people believe that when they require financial information and guidance, a bank is the best place to get it, especially since they don't have to pay for it. It's free, right? Besides, a bank is a central place to meet financial professionals whose goal is to strictly help the individual with their financial situation. 
is it not? What most people fail to understand is that advice provided by most banking professionals is sales-based, nothing more. The best banking representatives are trained and coached to identify and execute a sales opportunity at every interaction. It's not uncommon for a bankster to be expected to turn a simple debit card replacement into a sale. Here is proof in this story that the sales mentality does exist and that, in fact, the advice given at banks is not at all free. So as a member of the branch sales team, yes, that's right, you heard correctly, I said sales team, we were not an advice team, but a sales team, even though my official title contained the word advisor, I was required to have a weekly coaching session to discuss my successes and, of course, identify my so-called opportunities. And I'm not against identifying opportunities, but these were opportunities where they felt that I failed in selling a product. So these were based on my sales numbers and never focused on the advice the client was thankful for receiving, which normally strengthened the client's loyalty to the financial institution in the first place, but that didn't matter. One week, uh, in reviewing my sales numbers, my direct report manager noticed that I had closed a mortgage the week before and asked me to tell her more about the clients and how it came to be that they needed a mortgage. So, glowing with pride over the fact that I had made a mortgage sale, I explained the clients were a couple in their early 40s who had come to see me about their outlandish debt problem. These were clients that were concerned as they knew they had too much debt and that the monthly payments were very difficult to manage. Add on high interest rates and the debt situation was becoming very stressful for them. They felt like they were drowning in debt and that there was absolutely no way to make things better for them. Well, I felt like I, like I came to their rescue. So I continued to tell my manager that the debt included a secured line of credit, which means that their house was used as collateral for the line of credit. So I discussed the benefits with the clients of wrapping all of their debts within the bank and outside of the bank into a low rate mortgage to ensure that they are left with only one payment per month and restricting any further access to debt. The clients were thrilled and strongly supported this idea and desperately wanted to fix their situation. So we proceeded with having a mortgage approved to pay off and close all of their other debts. Thinking I was such a well-trained bankster, I convinced the couple to keep their existing credit card with our bank open, even if with a lower credit limit, so that they had quick access to a small amount of credit in any case of emergency. Besides, I wanted my employer to know that I still kept the bank's interest at heart. Well, my manager listened to my story, and once I was done telling it, she looked at me and said, Adrian, that's great to hear. What a great story about helping our clients. But did you sell them another credit card? She knew full well that I had not. I eyed her for a few seconds, expecting her to crack a smile as if she had just made a joke. Needless to say, no smile appeared, and I quickly realized she wasn't joking. I still decided to be sure she heard what I had said, when I nicely reminded her that, no, because these were clients that wanted their debts gone. They themselves did not want access to more debt. Without flinching, she responded, that doesn't matter. They still need a credit card for emergencies and to ensure they are maintaining a good credit rating. Aha, there it is, I thought. She just didn't register that I saved the bank's credit card for them to do just what my manager said they needed a credit card for. This was just a misunderstanding, I thought. So I made the clarification again for her. But she sharply responded with, yes, I heard that part, but they needed a second credit card. 
This time her reasoning was for so-called internet purchases. At this point I realized that this was a disagreement I was not going to win, however logical and professional my position was. It just made no sense to saddle clients who have problems handling debt with more debt in my opinion. This is when I realized that the bank was not interested in the financial well-being of these clients of theirs, but only had its own interests in mind. The bank wanted nothing more than to keep these clients just barely above the debt waters, throw them a temporary debt lifeline solution, only to repeat the drowning and saving cycle again. These types of clients were considered prize clients for the bank, for after all, the bank continued to generate what seemed like an endless revenue from these clients who paid perpetual interest payments. The bottom line is that one needs to be aware that not all advice is created equally. Some is objective, with your best interests at heart, while other advice is sales-driven, with only the bank's interests in mind. Whether or not this should be a concern of yours, of course only you are able to answer that, after all, and at the end of the day, it's your money. And this leads us to today's sponsor. You know who won't sell your products as part of their advice? Age Financial, that's who. Age Financial provides financial services and advice based on a foundation of coaching, advocacy, planning, and education, not products. Whether you're in search of a brief financial consultation or more involved financial planning and concierge services, Engage Financial has something to fit your financial expertise needs. Check it out at www.engagefinancial.ca. And don't be surprised if you see a mugshot or two of me, the original age, lingering around there. And if you're in the Edmonton area, drop us a line and let's meet up for coffee. We love to meet new people and to discuss future aspirations. And worry not, that first coffee and conversation is all on us. As they say, no purchase necessary. So don't delay, your financial future beckons, give us an old-fashioned ring. But enough about the bankster story. Let's move on to learn more about investing terms and techniques. If you've ever ventured into watching or listening to business news such as BNN in Canada or CNBC in the US, or perhaps you've gathered the courage to read some investment news and reports, you've surely seen or heard the terms fundamental analysis or investor versus technical analysis or technical investor. Investment gurus are also known for referring to themselves as either a fundamentalist and no, this has nothing to do with religion or politics, or as a technician. Let me guess. Seeing or hearing those terms made you tune out. What on earth are these people talking about, and why should I even care, right? Okay, let's turn to the what first, and check out the official yet boring definitions of each. So according to the Dictionary of Finance and Investment Terms put out by the Barron's Financial Guides, which shockingly seems to be sitting on my desk. Firstly, we have financial analysis. This is, quote, the analysis of the balance sheets and income statements of companies in order to forecast their future stock price movements. The process considers past records of assets, earnings, sales, products, management, and markets in predicting future trends in these indicators of a company's success or failure. By appraising a firm's prospects, these analysts assess whether a particular stock or group of stocks are undervalued or overvalued at the current market price. Okay, so let's take a look at technical analysis and the official yet boring definition of that. Quote, involves research into the demand and supply for given markets or securities based on trading volume and price studies. 
Analysts use charts or computer programs to identify and project price trends in a market or a security. Most analysis is done for the short or intermediate term, but some technicians also predict long-term cycles based on charts and other data. Wow, that was really a mouthful, wasn't it? I even had a hard time keeping up there. So hands up, be honest here. Who understood what I just read there? My guess, not very many of you. I also realize that many of the words used in the definitions very likely need their own definitions. But at that rate, I could be here forever doing episode six. So perhaps I'll review more of those concepts in future podcasts, or maybe I'll write up some quick uh, blog posts on them. But actually, before I even forget, uh, we're also building a vault of easy-to-understand definitions of investment and economic terms at uh, www.sagemidascapital.com. That's S-A-G-E-M-I-D-A-S-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com under the Intellectual Capital section and just click on the lexicon. Check it out. It's still a small little vault of words, but we're working on it. Anyways, for now, think of it this way. If you believe in fundamental analysis, you're basically going to be reading lots of company financial statements, listening to calls where many of the company's executives give a summary of what's been happening in the company and what their future plans are, as well as muddling through oodles of news stories about the company to figure out if the current market price is too low or too high, and then investing or trading accordingly. On the other hand, if you're a technical analyst, you're going to subscribe to a nice software program which provides charts about the stock's price and trading volumes, as well as other statistical models to help you decide if the market thinks that the stock price is too low or too high, and then again you will accordingly invest or trade. It is my personally a professional belief that, generally speaking, if you want to be an investor, you will most likely follow fundamental numbers. And if you want to be a trader, you're more likely to be a market technician. Again, this is just a general observation. And if you're confused by using the terms investor versus trader, you need to go back and listen to or re-listen to uh, episode four of this podcast because it'll help you understand a bit better. So is one style better than the other? I think it really depends on your views of not just the investment markets, but human psychology as well. There are those people who believe that humans, and thus markets, are rational, so any and all fundamental research you do is bound to uncover gold mines of investment opportunities. Yet other people believe the exact opposite. They believe that humans, and thus markets, are irrational actors, so the only way to make money is to identify the upcoming trend, get in front of that trend, and ride it to fortune. Okay, the original age, just stop with the definitions already. I can hear you telling me this. You don't, don't even have to email me. I can tell you just stop right there. Now you want to know why on earth am I bringing all this up? Well, firstly and most importantly, as I mentioned before, this is a program that discusses all money matters, including investments. I want to arm you with at least some basic understanding of all the important terminology so you can make better decisions about your financial portfolio. Secondly, it gives you a basic understanding for if and when I use the terms again in the future. The idea came to me to bring up these terms earlier this week when I read a piece from a Barron's email I get on a daily basis. This past week, the market saw mostly downward moves, in some cases erasing all gains of 2018 to date. The past week also featured many quarterly reports from companies, which announced the actual outcomes over the previous quarter, and many of them actually beat expectations. Here's what the Barron's piece said, quote, 
Corporate profits generally impressed, and the U.S. economy grew at a 3.5% rate in the third quarter. But the S&P 500 finished the week down 3.9%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was off 3%. After returning to positive territory yesterday, both indexes are again negative for the year. The Nasdaq Composite fell 3.8% on the week. Its 2018 gains stand at just 3.8%, end quote. I have no doubt that this short blurb is rather confusing to many of you. I expect it to be because, frankly, why else are you listening to this podcast? Either way, sit tight and things will get clearer as we go along this journey together. It won't all make sense today, but it will eventually. And as much as I'd love to break everything down for you today in this one episode, I fully appreciate that (laughs) dragging out one episode too long will do way more harm than it will do good in the end. So I only have so much time to fit in as much uh, useful information as I can. Okay, so what do these terms in this quote have in common, you're asking? Merely the fact that in hearing and reading the corporate results from this past week, a fundamental analyst likely expected that the markets would have risen over the week. A technician, on the other hand, likely did not put much weight on the results and just let the herd mentality of the market dictate to him what will happen next, up or down. I'm not here to tell and advise you the direction of the market. Besides, as I've said before, and I will keep repeating, I am not here to give you specific investment advice pertaining to your particular portfolio. Each investment portfolio has its own particular needs. But the bottom line here is that, like in all things in life, you can never be 100% correct, no matter what method of analysis you use. In this instance, My educated guess would be that more fundamental analysts were burned this week by the market than technicians. The company data points in one direction, yet the force of the market herd overpowered this week and pushed the markets lower. Justifiably so or not, I cannot say here. But anyways, now that I left your head spinning, yet you thirsting for more unscoring action, it's that time of day again to bid you adieu. But turn that frown upside down, comrades. There's always more to read and learn and share on our website, www.agecorp.co. Or you can jump on Facebook or Twitter and follow me at The Original Age. And please, share our treasure trove of growing useful information with your friends and family. Start with just three for now and we'll see where it goes. But please help us grow our reach. And with further success, I know that one day I will have the honor of sitting at your kitchen table with you to work with you on your financial matters as a member of our extended financial family. Until next time, stay safe, keep your integrity, and see you at the pinnacle.